Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. So, as Vic said, we're going to be going through the different tests. These are the tests that Joseph went through to reach the destiny that God had for him. Um, and we know from the, the series that uh, Dave's been doing with us that, uh, uh, that Joseph had a dream. And uh, we're going to start with that uh, scripture, that, that kind of um, bit in Genesis. So it's going to pop up on the screen behind, but just to remind us, this is, this is the beginning of the story. So now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, anyone remember when it was like to be 17 years old? It was a long time ago for me, some of you not so long ago. Um, he's 17, so he's a young lad, he was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with, son, with the sons of Bilhar and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So it's good to know here that Joseph's 17, he's the favorite, and he brings a bad report to his father. And Israel loved Joseph. Now, Israel's Jacob, by the way. God changed his name. Uh, more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. It's a great um, wisdom for dads. If you've got a favorite, let it be known to all the other kids. It'll go well for them. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, as you do, um, you know, if you've got older brothers, you tell them, you tell them how good you're going to be in life, especially when they hate you. And they hated him even more. See, maybe, I, I mean, I could be speaking out of turn, but maybe self-awareness was lacking in Joseph. You know, like, I don't know, just an aside on this, but like, if you've got something that you think, you know, you've got to have that self-awareness. If you've got a big dream, you tell it to people who are for you. You're not going to tell it to your brothers and sisters who hate you. You know, like if I, if I want to talk about 90s hip-hop, I choose my audience, right? I'll speak to like Matt Alton, or I'll speak to like Tom Smith. I won't speak to Vic, right? I found that out, that she does not appreciate the 90s hip-hop. Uh, so he said to them, please hear this dream, bad idea, Joseph, which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So it wasn't just his dream, the reason they hated him. It's because of who he was as a person. They really didn't like him. Then he dreamed still another dream. And he'd obviously learned from the first time. Let's go tell the brothers again. <laughs> Took it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bound down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. My first point today is that God has a dream for you. You know, this, God having a dream wasn't just for Joseph. God has a dream for you. And you might think, I don't know what that dream is. And we're going to, hopefully I'll explain how that works. So you may not know it yet, 
that God has a dream for you, but he also has a destiny for you. And these two are not necessarily the same. And that's what you find with Joseph, is that Joseph had this dream, this huge dream to him, which was that his, his brothers were going to bow down to him, and his mum and dad were going to bow down to him. That was his dream, but that wasn't his destiny. See, his destiny was that he was going to save millions of people from starvation during a famine. And you find that out later on. But the dream that God gave him wasn't that. You know, God didn't tell him in a dream, you're going to save millions of people from famine by feeding them, by, by saving loads of grain and stuff and then, and then feeding them. That wasn't the dream that Joseph got. Why? Because you think like, God, surely he'll just tell me what my destiny is. But if, if you think he was 17 years old, what's going to motivate a 17-year-old? Not that you're going to save lots of people. That wouldn't motivate me. What would motivate me is like, oh, I'm going to be awesome. God thinks I'm the best. It's not just my dad. Like, God thinks I'm the best. And that's why he gave him that dream. See, the purpose of the dream, oh, I'll come on to that later on. You, you can hold a little bit. So the pride test, that's what we're talking about. So who in here has ever dealt with pride in their life? Just put your hand up. Yeah? And anyone dealt with it more than once? Like this week. <laughs> Yeah. See, we did, like, the pride test is one of these things that just keeps reoccurring, unfortunately, in our lives. And, uh, you know, we have to, we have to deal with pride. And, and I think the problem is, is that we try and deal with pride by not saying things that seem proud. So we're talking about pride like being better than others. So if you've, I mean, if you've ever noticed people, it doesn't matter how beautiful they look, as soon as they become proud and think they're better than others, suddenly they just seem really ugly. And there's something about it which is like, oh, it's just not nice. You know, when they, they step on people to get their own way and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, often we deal with pride by not talking. So we deal with the fruit, which is pride. But actually the root of pride is insecurity. It's that we don't think we're good enough. So we have to try and prove ourselves by speaking over others. It says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, but pride can't be fixed uh, by just being silent because pride needs to be heard. So if, you're, if you are proud, you need to be heard by people. Pride has to give its opinion. Pride interrupts because it's more important. Like, a proud person thinks they're more important. So if you're the kind of person that when a conversation's going on, you're like, yeah, 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 hurry up. I've got something to say. Just, you know, awareness. So to deal with pride, you have to deal with its root, and its root is insecurity. See, pride isn't just the words. You know, the Bible says, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So to, but to deal with pride, we have to deal with insecurity. And the thing is, we're all insecure. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, deep down, we all have insecurities. No matter how good we look to other people, no matter how uh, amazing we think we are, deep down we have that insecurity where we don't feel we're good enough. And that's because we're all sinners at the end of the day. We all, we're all born into this world as sinners. So uh, we can't fix ourselves. And... Um, I, yeah, it says in Ephesians, let me just read you this. This is, so in Ephesians it says, uh, Ephesians 2, 1, 4, and 5, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. It is by grace that you have been saved. And the thing is, we need God. Like, that is the, that is the, um, the antidote to our insecurity, is knowing who we are in Christ. 
See, when you know who you are in Christ, you can then be secure. See, when, when the devil tried to um, tempt Jesus, he always said, like, if you are the Son of God. Jesus never said to him, like, I am the Son of God. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Because Jesus knew who he was. He just knew. He knew his identity. So he never had to prove himself to the devil. And it's the same for us. We don't have to prove ourselves to people by kind of proving that we're better than we think we are, by proving that we know more than they do. It's like we just need to know who we are. We just need to know who we are in Christ. And Galatians 3.26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. It's like I'm now in Christ. It's like... I, you know, and I, yeah, I don't really like to use the picture of a duvet, but you know, like when you're in a duvet, it's like you're in the duvet. It's, um, I know it's a strange picture. It just came to me, and I don't know why I'm saying it, but I'm just keeping going with it, okay? I'd, I'd, I'd do it in my jacket. But you know when you're in a duvet, and it's just like you're comfortable, you know you're in there. It's like, yes, I'm safe, I'm in my duvet. It's like being in Christ, not as comfortable sometimes, but um, it's that kind of picture of it. So, the first point was that God's got a dream for you. Second point is this. To know the dream, know the giver of dreams. And it sounds so obvious, but, like, so, but God's the giver of dreams. So the dreams don't come from ourselves. It's not like we can look inside ourselves and find the answer to ourselves. That's like the worst advice. People, you know people who say that? It's like, oh, you need to just look within yourself. You'll find the answer. It's like, no, you won't. You won't find the answer within yourself. You just, you just won't. I got this new phone recently. So Huawei is how I pronounce it, and uh, some people say Hawaii, and uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing phone. Apparently, it does really amazing stuff, but if I have a problem with my phone, and I think, oh, it's not just not working, there's, a, there's an issue with it, there's a problem with my phone, I don't then find the number for Apple support and ring them up and say, oh yeah, is that Apple support? Brilliant, I've got a problem with my Huawei. They'd be like, you're ringing the wrong people. You're speaking to the wrong group. You need to speak to Huawei. And um, I, know, I just like the word. Um, but it's the same for us. So if you've got a problem in yourself, you can't just ask other people because they don't know the answer to your problem. You can't look within yourself because you do not have the answer to your problems. Only God has the answer to our problems because he created us. And so that, you know, in itself, that kind of destroys our pride because our pride says that oh, I can I can sort this out I can sort this out myself I know I'm better than this but actually we're not we need God in our lives we need the answers which are only found in him so the dream was that his family would bow down to him that was Joseph's dream but his destiny is that he'd save millions of people from salvation see God's dream for your life you might get given a dream from God. And the more you spend time around God, the more you'll get that dream. You'll get that kind of like conviction. This is what I want to do in life. This is going to be awesome. It might be a business idea. It might be, I don't know. It could be whatever it is. But actually, your destiny is much bigger than that. And, and so if you go away with anything from this talk, know that your destiny is bigger than your dream. Because you may have a dream now, and you may, that dream may scare you and all the rest of it, and you think, oh, flipping it, that's going to be amazing. But the purpose, and this is, you know, why as a church are we into things like entrepreneurship? Why are we into business? Because we're into helping people. That's what we're about. And ultimately, that's what business is about. See, people twist that and say, oh, you're about business. You're all about money. You're all about greed. It's like, no, forget it. We're all about helping people. See, good business helps people. 
Yeah, good business helps other people. And, it, and then if we get more money, then we can help more people. That's kind of the point of it. But, you know, uh, sorry. Third point, final point is this. To handle the destiny, you need to know who you are. So you need to know the giver of dreams, first of all, and then to handle your destiny. Where God wants to take you is unbelievable. In fact, he won't reveal it to you straight away. He'll reveal it in a dream. He'll reveal it in a thought. In a, and your dream doesn't have to be like you go to bed one night and you just dream some amazing dream and, and it's like, oh, that's what I'm going to be. It could just be a thought in a service like this. When you're spending time around God, when you're in your dinner party with, around your friends and suddenly a, a thought flicks in and you're like, oh, maybe that's the dream. Maybe that's what I'm going to go for. But, but the destiny, to handle the destiny, you need to know who you are. And Dave brought this to us. He says that truth doesn't change you, but persuasion does. So you need to repeat truth to yourself. And I was just reading before in Ephesians, and there's so much good stuff in Ephesians that you can just take and repeat to yourself. So, so Ephesians 1.3, and uh, these will come up on the screen. And what I've done is then I've applied this scripture in, in a way that I can speak it to myself. So Ephesians 1.3, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So I can speak that over myself. Ephesians 1, 7, I am forgiven and accepted by God in accordance with the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, 10, I am God's masterpiece, created in Christ to do good works. I, and then Ephesians 2, 18, I have access to God by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 13, I was once far away, but I've been drawn near to God through the blood of Christ. And that's, that in itself is amazing. Like when I think about where I was in life, and by the way, I've always been in church, but I've never been close to God like I've been close to God in the last few years, in the last kind of 10 years of being in global. And when I think of like what my life could have been like without God, and I think, yeah, I was once far away, but I've been drawn near to God through the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, I have victory over sin through Christ. 1 John 1, 9, when I confess my sin, I am forgiven and purified of all unrighteousness. It's an amazing thing. You know, going through these tests, what you'll find over these next few weeks as we go through the 10 tests is, is you can, I mean, do take notes and all the rest of it, but what you'll find is this will set you up for life. This isn't something that's like, oh, yeah, Sam talked about the pride test, right, that one's done. Uh, Liz is going to talk about the pit test, right, I can do that one. It's like, no, no, these tests will come. Things will go through. These are, these are like works in progress. This isn't just going to happen overnight. Um, uh, I'm going to hand over to Liz. Give her a round of applause. Hello, everyone. <laughs> so I'm going to be talking about the pit test, which sounds... Very exciting, I'm sure, being in the pit, <laughs> okay? It might do if, like me, you were a teenage mosher, and actually the pit 15 years ago was quite fun. Um, however, at 30 years old, your knees can't take it anymore. So, <laughs> the pit test. Um, actually, what it is, is when we're going through these tests, they're all things that shape us. Um, God is concerned with, well, with Joseph and with us, he's more concerned about our character than our comfort. And that's what each one of these tests are about. And it's about not living a comfortable life, but living our best life. Yeah. And the good news is, if you're in a pit, an actual pit, not a mosh pit, um, or even a mosh pit, you can get out of it. 
okay? God does not want you to stay in that pit. He does not want you to stay in that situation that you are in. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you, and yeah, the pl- yeah, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So he does not want you to stay in, in this period of time that you might be in currently where you're having a difficult time. Or like Sam said, in the future, if you're facing something, to remind yourself of God's promises. So that being said, we'll read what happened to Joseph. Um, so in Genesis, it says, on the screen as well, um, now the brothers had gone to graze their father, gone to graze their father's flocks near, and I practice this loads, Shechem. <laughs> and Israel said to Joseph, "As you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send the, send you to them." Very well, he replied. So he said to him, "Go and see if all is well with your brothers, and with the flocks, and bring word back to me." Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron, where Joseph arrived at Shechem. A man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood, throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Okay, so for cistern, let's take the word pit. Okay, he is in this well. Now, I have two younger brothers, and we haven't always got on. But I can't say there's been one particular time where I did something so awful that my brothers plotted to kill me or throw me into a well. However, we have had this long-standing debate over who is the favorite, okay? Uh, It's been going on for years, but recently that debate has completely been settled when I married Craig Baker. (laughs) Because despite my father having two sons, his favorite is now Craig. Yeah. So, but in all seriousness, what had Joseph done that had annoyed his brothers so much that they wanted to kill him? And like Sam said, he had a complete lack of self-awareness. And probably in his pit, he was there thinking, why am I here? Okay. He just thought, my brothers are just jealous of me. They want this fantastic coat I've got. Okay. So, that brings me to my first point, which is the blame game. Why am I in the pit? Now, Joseph and his lack of self-awareness, he had no idea. It says they saw him in the distance because of his outrageous coat. Okay, so, it, it wasn't the coat. 
okay? It wasn't the coat that got Joseph into his, his pit. It was the gloat, okay? It wasn't the coat, it was the gloat, okay? It was his attitude. It's not our action that puts us in the pit. It is our reaction to our circumstances, okay? So, with that being said, it's a great idea to just look at yourself. Why are you in the pit? Why do you repeat the same mistakes over and over again? Why do you have the same thoughts that spiral you down to get you back in the pit? And I'm talking from experience here, from experience of being in a pit, from experience of being stuck in a situation with a certain mindset. Um, so it says in Psalm 139.23, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So ask God. Ask God why you're here. Why do you have these thought processes? Why do you have these negative attitudes? And also, ask others. Have good friends. Have good friends, okay? Have friends who will tell you what's what. Who will tell you the truth, okay? Who will tell you when you are being pathetic, when you are, yeah, lying in your bed and making excuses and not going out, and being depressed, okay? Let people into your lives. That's the biggest thing. Let people in church into your lives, okay? Yeah, even those people who sometimes you don't want to listen to because you know exactly what they're going to say to you, they will not let you stay in the pit, okay? <laughs> and nor will Jesus, and nor will God, <laughs> okay? So, which brings me on to my second point. What is your perspective in the pit? Are you looking in or are you looking out? Okay. Um, when you're in the pit, that's it. You might be just looking around all the darkness that's around you. Okay. It might be surrounding you. And you forget that actually, at some point, you fell into that pit or you got put in that pit. And actually, there's a light at the top and that's where you fell into it. Okay. So there are two perspectives. And Sam talked about this a few weeks back. A pit or a cave. If you're in there, God doesn't want you to be in there. And you've got to change your mindset for why you're in that situation. So the two perspectives in the pit could be God's or the devil's. God's would say is a, a perspective of conviction. Yes, the consequences of your actions put you in that pit. The consequence of Joseph being an arrogant little so-and-so, okay, was that his brothers hated him and threw him into a pit. However, the devil would say, because he's, he's the, the author of all lies, really, he's the, he, he would say that you're in the pit because you're a bad person, because you're awful, because, yeah, you're useless, you're a waste of space, all those kind of negative thoughts. He will lie to you and tell you that you're never going to get out of it, that you're never going to realize your dreams. God never condemns, okay, but Satan deceives Jacob believed that his son, his favorite son, Joseph, was dead for 22 years because of a lie. Okay, so what lies do you believe? What lies from the devil do you believe? Such as, I'm not in the right career. Yeah, I, like Vicky said, I'm a teacher, holding on. Okay, I spent, yeah, nine grand for one year of a course to become a teacher. Okay, and yeah, the lies come in when you have bad days that this isn't the right career. Because, yeah, because that's what the devil wants you to believe, that you're not good enough. But what lies are you believing? 
Are you, going to, are you believing that you're going to be single forever? Are you going to believe that you'll never get out of debt? Are you, whatever the lie is, it's something that's stopping you from achieving your dreams. So what would God say about your pit? What would God say about the situation that you're currently in? What is his perspective? So, like I said at the start, his perspective is that he has plans to prosper you. So if God doesn't want you to stay in the pit, why are you in it? Okay, which brings me on to my next point. Why though? Okay, the purpose of the pit. There is a handy infographic that goes with this. Um, <laughs> why though? <laughs> so, <laughs> when you're in that pit and you're having maybe a serious problem, maybe a bit of a first world problem, why though? <laughs> okay. Um, the reason God puts you through things, okay? The reason God puts you through all these tests that we're going to talk about is for you to draw closer to him, okay? He wants you to cry out to him. He wants you to get over yourself, quit your whining, quit your jibber-jabber, <laughs> okay? And run to him, okay? Uh, another famous pit dweller, not just me, okay, is Jonah, perhaps one of the biggest pit dwellers of all time. Okay, he didn't just go to the bottom of the ocean. He went in the belly of a large fish in the bottom of the ocean before he, you know, got some self-awareness. Anyway, so it says in Jonah, um, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So the key message is, run to God, not away from him. Jonah tried to run away, but eventually, and eventually is key, he eventually called out to God. Okay, I've been there many, many times, like I said, and I do this thing when I'm in it when I'm thinking I'm useless or when I'm thinking I've failed at something. I do this thing where I forget I'm a Christian, okay? <laughs> forget. So I forget that all the promises. I forget all the promises. I forget what he's done for me. I forget everything. And like I said before, the key thing for that is have good friends, okay? I will be one of them if you don't have any friends. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> I like telling people things, so, yeah. <laughs> have good friends. Have people who will tell you what's what, okay? Have people who will pick you up from the bottom of the pit and will help you, will encourage you, will help you get on in life, okay? Um, you can just imagine Joseph, can't you? He's in his pit. He's blaming his brothers. He's probably there for hours, if not days, just whining, whinging, okay? At some point, he will have realized that it was his pride, okay, that put him in there. And at some point, he will have called out to God. So if you're in a pit, call out to God. He wants you, he wants to restore your relationship with him. That is the main, I guess, the main thing in the Bible, really, from, from Genesis onwards, is God wants to restore your relationship with him. Um, Reuben foreshadows Jesus in this story. So Reuben is the only brother, perhaps with a little bit of compassion. Okay, 
he, he say, it says, don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father, just like Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross, not so that you could stay in your pit, but that so that you can have a relationship back with the father. So, to conclude, yes, you can learn things in the pit. You can learn about yourself. You can know yourself, okay? But God does not want you to stay there. That's essentially it. So, yeah, get out of the pit. <laughs> Hand over to Johnny. Cool. Oh. Isn't it awesome just to hear, like, fresh voices on takes that you always hear? That was just amazing, Liz and Sam. You are awesome, as always. Uh, I'm really lucky in my, top, in my test because Joseph nailed his test in this one. I get to talk about the palace test, and it's just so great. Cool. So let's jump into it. Genesis 39, verse 1-6. Now, Joseph had been taken to Egypt. This is after he was pulled out of the pit. He was sold into slavery. Uh, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and even though he was a slave, he became a successful and prosperous man. Keep those two lines in your life, and you will do so well. And he was in the house of, the mas of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord's caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. The key thing in all of this, Potiphar is not believing in God. He's an Egyptian. They do not believe. And he's prospering and is blessed because Joseph is in his life. Yeah. So Joseph pleased Potiphar and found favor in his sight and he served him as personal servant. He made Joseph's overseer over his house and all that he owned in Joseph's charge. It happened from the time that he made Joseph's overseer of his house and put him in charge over all that he owned. Now the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. So the Lord's blessing was over everything that Potiphar owned in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left all that he owned in Joseph's charge. And with Joseph there, he did not need to pay attention to anything apart from the food that he ate. I would love to be Potiphar. <laughs> <laughs> now Joseph was a handsome and attractive in form and appearance. <laughs> um, Joseph did so well... <laughs> Joseph did so well in this test that he actually passes this test uh, three times in his whole journey. Uh, later on, uh, spoiler alert, if you don't know the story of, G of Joseph, uh, he gets put into prison. And the prison guards, uh, Genesis 39, 23, the warden paid no, no attention to anything that, Joseph, that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him whatever Joseph did, and the Lord made him prosper. Uh, later on, he then becomes prime minister of Egypt, and there was blessing over Egypt. Great. So no matter what Joseph did, he always prospered, and he yeah. just soared through this test, right? So rhetorical question, would that be okay with you, to prosper in everything that you did? Yeah? Cool. So four quick keys to prospering. Key one, the, pres the key to prospering is the presence of the Lord. Yeah. Note how many times, like just in that brief bit, it said that the Lord was with Joseph yeah. and it made him prosper. Prosperity is written in the Old Testament 63 times. Like, it's one of the most used words in the Old Testament. <laughs> Quite simply, like, prosperity, like, I'll answer in one thing. 
Find out where God is going and go with him. That's all you need to do. But Johnny, I hear you ask, how do you find the presence of the Lord? Well, key two. (laughs) You can see where this is going. (laughs) The key to the presence of the Lord is obedience. Everyone really enjoys some obedience. (laughs) The reason why Joseph was prosperous is because he didn't let the situation affect what he did. He served in a situation that he probably didn't expect to be in. Like, if I was Joseph, this would be my thing. So, God, you've given me this dream, and I'm now here. This makes no sense. Like, just give me that dream. Like, we'll just skip this bit. So, the question is, can you be obedient in your inconvenience? Um, If you weren't at Aiken, that's an original line. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Joseph worked in the inconvenience, but was still obedient. Uh, A couple of years ago, um, as Vicky said at the start, I was brought up in church at 11. I came to one of the first youth nights. Uh, At 18, I moved to London to go to university. Uh, Finished university, no job, uh, no money. So I moved back to York. Um, And after a couple of months, I felt like there was a calling to stay in York. Um, so I told someone, I told Ben and the rest of my connect at the time, and within five minutes of announcing that I would stay in York, I got a job offer <laughs> that I hadn't applied for. I'd got headhunted uh, for a job in London. <laughs> um, and if anyone knows, uh, my, one of my dreams was to have a show on Broadway. Uh, just any old show, I didn't really care care if it was best just to have my name on a Broadway show. Um, so I fought with it, and then basically, if you listen to the song Hillsong, I Surrender, that sums it up really well. <laughs> so I basically ended up going, okay, Lord, I surrender like that to you, and I'll be obedient even though it feels wrong, yeah. and I'll go through this and stay in York. Um, and just to like, go through that, I had to then go through six months of unemployment, <laughs> which wasn't great. Uh, but I then got a job in Scarborough with uh, Alan Aitborn, who's the number two most read playwright in history, uh, second Shakespeare. Um, and within two months of that job, the first show that I worked on, the first show that I made stuff for, the first show that I programmed, um, got a transfer to Broadway. Yeah. Um, so by moving away from the dream that I had and being obedient to God, I got to the dream probably a lot quicker than I would have. But how do I be obedient when it's not convenient to me? Key three, John. (laughs) (laughs) The key to obedience is faith. A farmer plants in faith. They believe that the seed is going to grow. Dreams don't come overnight. They'll often take years and years. Joseph didn't really achieve his dream for, I think, 13 years. Um, so what we need, and it's a really simple um, analogy to this, is the amount of faith you have in God has to be equal to the amount of faith you have in your hot water tap. I know that makes no sense, does it? <laughs> but when you turn on your hot water tap, it's quite often cold water. But by faith, you stand there knowing that it's going to get hot. Yeah. <laughs> so when you start following God, like, it will often feel that he's not there. But yeah. by faith, we stay there and let it heat up. And when yeah. it's hot, it's really easy to be obedient. Okay? Yeah. But how do I grow my faith joint? Well, it's simple. Key four. <laughs> <laughs> the key to faith is hearing the word. It, literally, this is totally in your control, this one. 
Like, you don't need God to read and hear the word. Uh, Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to grow your faith, like, read your Bible. Get the Bible plan up. Get a book. Buy a book. Read the book. Genuinely, I don't know why I have this, but I have two copies of this. So if you want a copy, take it. (laughs) (laughs) Set it as your wallpaper on your phone. This isn't me changing my wallpaper today, by the way. I actually have that permanently. That's it. (laughs) So... Just do that, and the more that you read and the more that you feed yourself, the more that you will be able to step out in faith, and the more you'll be able to become obedient, and the more you'll understand the presence of God, and the more you will prosper. Yeah. Now, the lucky thing about this whole story is that I can sum it up with one sentence, right? And the sentence is, plant it in the house, and you will flourish, yeah. right? See when you're planted in the soil of the house, your roots will take on the nourishment of the word of God. You will grow a strong trunk of faith and be able to branch out in your obedience and produce the fruits of your prosperity. And the beautiful thing about the fruits of your prosperities is that the seed is within that fruit, so you can grow more. It's great. Anyway, I've come to an end. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website.